There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, January 17th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Tate Reeves launches a national search for the next Department of Corrections leader. Then... I used to think Republicans were concerned about uh, the federal deficit and the federal debt. Well, doesn't seem like anybody cares about that much anymore. Part two of our conversation with former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott. Plus, a special weekend honoring Martin Luther King Jr. at the two Mississippi museums. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves is appointing a team to conduct a nationwide search for a new commissioner for the state's embattled corrections department. Former Commissioner Felicia Hall resigned this month. Recent violence and the death of five inmates have shed light on the need for reform. As one of his first official acts as governor, Reeves emphasizes this appointment cannot be rushed and tapped Vicksburg Mayor George Flaggs to lead the search committee. Just 48 hours ago, I took the oath of office as the 65th governor of the great state of Mississippi. Standing before the people, I promised that this administration would be an administration for all Mississippi, that I would clean up the Department of Corrections to provide for the safety of our citizens and the human dignity of all within the system. Today, I am determined to honor that promise. But I also know that we cannot rush the critical job of finding a new commissioner for the Department of Corrections. Therefore, I am turning to my fellow Mississippians to help me in this mission. I am honored to be joined today by a group of people who will help me in the search to find the leader the Department of Corrections and our state needs. Mayor George Flaggs will lead this group of diverse, experienced Mississippians in a nationwide search to provide a recommendation for a permanent commissioner. It is a solemn honor to be here today, to be able to lend my experience to work of finding a leader for the Department of Correction who can reform 
this department. Changes at the top there is critical needed. We have got a great group of people here uh, from many different backgrounds. There is a diversity of wisdom in this group that will serve the governor as well as work to address these fundamental issues. I threw the governor, uh, I thought the governor laid out his priority very well in his inauguration address Tuesday when he said, and I quote, clean up correction to provide for the safety of all Mississippians and the human dignity of all within uh, the system. The governor also identifies the immediate need to visit Parchment along with the other state and private prisons that house Mississippians. Yes, I have visited Parchment in the past. I have not uh, visited uh, in the very recent uh, past, uh, and therefore we are looking at, at options uh, to do uh, just that. Um, just to put things in perspective for you, I mentioned earlier that there were 3,000 fewer inmates in the entire system today uh, than, than there was some six years ago. Um, the total number of prisoners at Parchman uh, at its peak was a little over 3,000. So that just kind of puts in perspective uh, sort of where we were. The, the previous administration made the decision uh, to shut down certain beds at certain facilities. And so I would anticipate uh, as we look at uh, our options going forward, uh, that's going to be part of the conversation and part of the discussion as well is um, w were those decisions made, surely they were well-intentioned, but were they the right decisions to make at the time, and are they the right decisions today and going forward? Um, and so my, my inclination is to say that uh, I will be visiting numerous facilities uh, throughout the system, uh, which uh, uh, include but are not limited to not only those in the state system owned by the state, uh, but also uh, private prisons uh, as well as uh, some of the regional jails uh, that many of the sheriffs around uh, the state operate, uh, some of which have been have um, have been reduced in terms of the number of inmates that they have, and so we're going uh, we're going to approach this not only in terms of our attempt uh, to hire a new permanent commissioner, but we're going to approach the interim um, working with uh, Mayor Taylor um, and his vast experience, uh, as well as uh, these individuals that have agreed to. Uh, help advise us uh, to find the right solution for, for all inmates. Uh, and I would anticipate that will include uh, visiting uh, other facilities around the state. Emily? When asked whether more funds would be appropriated for the Department of Corrections, the governor claimed a lack of trust in former leadership played a role in past appropriations. He also stressed the need to look forward. Obviously, we're going to work uh, very closely with the new commissioner. Um, I'm not at liberty to... Uh, to confirm for you that any uh, financial numbers asked for uh, by the uh, previous administration um, are uh, based on realistic projections. Um, I think one of the challenges uh, that, that we have dealt with is a general lack of trust in the legislature uh, of the uh, leadership, um, and that's one of the reasons I think it's, uh, it's very um, important uh, that Mayor Taylor has agreed to take over um, this particular department in the interim. Uh, there is no doubt that he is widely respected uh, by people throughout Mississippi uh, and particularly widely respected uh, by members of the legislature. I'm less interested in what's happened in the past and more interested in what's going to happen in the future. Um, there's, there's nothing that can be done 
uh, or changed about what happened in the past. And, and look, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, many of the challenges that Mississippi's system uh, is dealing with today are challenges being dealt with in 49 other states around the country. Now, they haven't had the kind of violence that we've seen in the last two or three weeks or two or three months um, in some of those, but uh, these are challenges that are not unique to Mississippi. Uh, and therefore, uh, I think what you'll see is what we're going to focus on is, is why, and I know that a lot of people want to play the blame game and point fingers here or point fingers there. None of that really matters. We are where we are today, and our job as leaders um, and I've been in this position for a little less than 48 hours. Our job as leaders is, is to develop a plan and a path forward. And that's what this press conference is about today, is, is laying forth that plan for the future. Governor Reeves has appointed Mayor Tommy Taylor of Boyle as interim commissioner until the search is concluded. Taylor has a background in law enforcement and corrections. In other state news, the State Board of Education has voted unanimously to keep the end-of-course United States history course. The board's final decision on the assessment comes after a public comment period and review of an accountability task force recommendation. The U.S. history exam is one of four end-of-course assessments that board policy requires students take in order to graduate. Coming up, part two of our conversation with former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fit to Eat, I'll be preparing a squash pasta and vegetable medley with a side of Swiss chard and stuffed tomato. Our guest is registered dietitian Rebecca Turner, who has some helpful tips about how to sneak a green into your daily diet. We'll also take a trip to Two Dog Farms in Flora, Mississippi, to get a glimpse at just how much goes into getting these beautiful vegetables to your table. It's going to be a great show, so tune in. Join Chef Rob Stinson on Fit to Eat every Saturday at 1, only on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. All 100 U.S. senators have taken their impartiality oath for the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump. The proceedings will resume Tuesday. The impeachment process has been saturated with partnership, 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 Sorry about that, which former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott attributes partly to the rise of social media. In part two of our conversation, he discusses leadership and the current political climate with our Michael Guidry. How is the evolution of media, specifically social media, from your perspective, how has it influenced political maneuvering when dealing with such a profound concept as the impeachment and removal of a sitting president? I do think social media has become a very negative unfortunate uh, thing that uh, it's just so so cruel and mean in in many respects of what it says about people to people and and you know all of that but when i go back and look at my time during the judiciary committee nixon proceedings and then of course clinton too in those days it was you know radio uh, tv newspapers basically that was it uh, and then slowly you got into the the social media and you know all these uh, things that go on now, uh, emails and and uh, the media showing up at your doorstep and uh, hounding you. Uh, it's it's really gotten very, in my opinion, uh, out of control and, and cruel. Of how and it's it's not just one side, not just conservative or liberal or you know Democrat or Republican. It it uh, it's true all across the board. 
but it is what it is. Do you, do you think that toxicity plays a role in your ability to to reach across the aisle? Like, because you and you, and Minority Leader Dashiell, had a, had a famously cordial and, and cooperative right. relationship. Do you think that this climate prevents? people from reaching out and, and coming to compromise across the aisle? Absolutely, it does. Because if you do that, uh, you just get crucified by your, your your own party or by the so-called base of your party or by the media. Uh, you know, if, if, you, uh, uh, if you're a Republican and you say uh, something negative about uh, Trump, well, you get, you know, basically <laughs> destroyed. It could get defeated for re-election. And same thing, uh, you know, on the other side. Uh, Chuck Schumer, he's from... New York, he has to pay attention to the um, media on the left. If he doesn't, then he'll be criticized. So it it, it does affect what you can do and how you can work together. Uh, you know, I, if Mitch McConnell and, and Chuck Schumer appeared to be working together too closely, both of them would probably be just severely criticized. But there are other things, like members of Congress now don't spend enough time in Washington. They don't really know each other. Their families don't know each other. Uh, you know, they, they don't have good communication. They don't have a good chemistry with each other. And I used to work a lot on trying to make the Senate a, a decent place to work and even have a little fun. That's why I had the Singing Senators. That's why I had Searsucker Thursday. That's why I had Tartan Day, where I wore a kilt on the floor of the Senate, uh, to just loosen the place up a little bit and, and have some chemistry and some friendship. And they've lost that uh, ability now. And then also, um, I'm not sure what the true vision is or the message of either party. It's become so muddled. Uh, what the Republicans really want to do, uh, I used to think Republicans were concerned about uh, the federal deficit and the federal debt. Well, it doesn't seem like anybody cares about that much anymore. Uh, and um, basically, the idea of be nice and it might be good for the country has kind of lost its stock and trade. So how do you think we get out of this? Well, I just uh, I just mentioned some of the things. Uh, I do think that members of Congress should uh, keep uh, take their families to Washington. I think they should spend more time in Washington. Uh, I do think that they need to have a conscious effort to communicate. For instance, one of the things that Tom Daschle and I did to make sure we could communicate quickly and effectively and without interference is I had a red phone on my desk. And when I picked it up, it rang one place, and a red phone on Tom Daschle's desk. And we were able to talk quickly, confidentially, without interference from the media uh, and, frankly, from our own staff. Because sometime, uh, Tom and I would meet and talk about and agree about what we want to do, and our own staff didn't particularly like it. But that's called leadership. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's going to take some women and men of courage and leadership to stand up and say, wait a minute, this has gotten out of control, we're stopping this. So what is going to change it? Uh, sometime I think you have to go to the lowest possible levels before you begin to come out of it. <laughs> I think maybe we maybe reached the pit. Uh, but it's going to take some strong-willed leadership, and I don't know where that is right now. You've spoken a lot about leadership in, in this toxic climate. How would you lead your party at a time like this? How would it differ from current leadership? Well, it, it, times are very different, as I said, and people are very different, and I try not to uh, put too much of an onus on the successors, uh, my successors in the leadership, but I do think that uh, one of the basic requirements of, of leadership 
uh, is is communication. I used to say that uh, the most important leadership tool is your ears. Are you listening to your members? Are you listening to to your constituents? Are you listening to the people of the country? Um, so you know, but also in, in addition to you know the, the communication, trying to explain what you're doing, you need leaders that have courage. For instance, basically when. Uh, members of the my Senate Republican Conference wanted to call uh, uh, President Clinton and Monica Lewinsky on the floor of the, uh, the Senate uh, in the well, and, and all of it just laid out there in a very unseemly way. I said, no, not as long as I'm leader. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to demean this institution, and if I have to resign, uh, you know, okay. Uh, and they kind of backed off, uh, but we they actually forced a vote, and we were able to defeat the vote because I not only had uh, most of the Democrats, I had uh, you know a good portion of the Republicans too. But sometimes you gotta you gotta be willing to put it on put your leadership position on the line. That's the kind of thing you, you have to if you're going to be a leader, you got to lead. One of your, your your former colleagues, Senator Susan Collins from Maine, was one of the few that that broke with the party line and voted not guilty in the 1999 uh, impeachment trial. Is, is, there, is there a place for people to vote on their, their conscience and vote with what they perceive as the facts, or is this going to be consumed by the ideologies of the base? Well, you hope that there is still that uh, time and that ability for a senator or a person to follow the facts and make their mind up accordingly. One of the things that I use to try to keep things moving is uh, my, one of my mottos was keeping them together by letting them stray, which means that when you know you're going to win, uh, let senators without undue pressure do what they think is best. Or if, you, you know, if you're going to win, for sure, or if you're going to lose, for sure, don't try to make people walk the plank. Uh, let them vote their conscience without uh, undue uh, pressure. I was out of the leadership for four years from 2002 until 2006, and then I got elected back as the number two position as whip in 2006. I was shocked that after only four years how much more difficult it had gotten to get things done and how much meaner it had gotten. Remember, this is a republic. This is not a pure democracy. We elect people to go to Washington, learn the facts, do their due diligence, think about what is right, and cast a vote accordingly. We, we are not supposed to just react to the demands of the constituency. And I think we forget that sometimes. But there are a few uh, that will, oh, it could be, I think I can think of a couple of Democrats that might vote against articles of impeachment. I can think of three or four Republicans that are liable to vote for them. So be it, you know, uh, do what the Constitution requires, let the process work out, take a vote, and move on. But let me just say this. I still have eternal faith in uh, our system of government and the people of America. Uh, we've got a unique system, and so this too shall pass if we keep the faith, and I wish you all a very happy New Year. Senator Trent Lott, former Majority Leader, gentleman from Pascagoula, we thank you so much for your time and your insight. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Michael. Coming up, a special weekend honoring Martin Luther King Jr. at the two Mississippi museums. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The two Mississippi museums in Jackson are celebrating the life and influence of Martin Luther King Jr. by offering free admission to the Museum of Mississippi History and the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Rachel Myers is deputy director of the two Mississippi museums. She tells us that the museums are an appropriate way to celebrate MLK weekend. So the two Mississippi museums is a great place to spend um, your MLK weekend. Uh, For many people, they might assume that it is a day off, but we want it to be a day on. This should be a day to honor Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy and um, his work in the civil rights movement. And there is no better place to do that than the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Um, Of course, we talk about his work here in Mississippi, but we also talk about uh, the local leaders here in Mississippi, like Megar Evers, Vernon Damer, Fannie Lou. Hamer, um, so you can get a really well-rounded understanding um, of the movement here in Mississippi. When was Dr. King in Mississippi and why? He was here multiple times. Um, may, may, unfortunately, he was here for um, Medgar Evers' funeral, um, so he showed up at very public events like that. Um, he was here for the March Against Fear with James Meredith in 1966. Um, that's really what brought him to Mississippi also during 68, kind of in that region. You are offering free admission why and how many people are you expecting? So we are grateful for the partnership of the FedEx Corporation. FedEx is sponsoring an entire free weekend, Saturday, Sunday from 1 to 5, and all day Monday. So anytime this rainy weekend when you are looking for something um, inspirational and educational to do, um, it is going to be a bustling time at the two Mississippi museums. Um, I can recall when we first opened the MLK weekend of 2018 when we had over 15,000 people streaming through our buildings all the way out the door. Um, this will be a more comfortable experience. Um, we're definitely anticipating thousands of people, but uh, this will be a chance for you to get into the galleries and, and see some of our theaters and, and get to know that the major players of the civil rights movement. For those who have n- never been to either museum, and you're offering free admission to both of them, how much time should they plan for to really get a good grasp of what each museum offers. So I'm a museum person and I could spend all day, Um, but not everyone has all day unless you have a day off like January 20th. That happens to be a day where students and a lot of parents are taking off. So we really are encouraging people to take the day. Um, If you have a few hours, I recommend doing like at least an hour in each, an hour and a half. You have a very special event on Monday night. Tell us about it. So on Monday evening, we have a great event called the MLK Night of Culture. And the theme for this time, it's our second time, is called I Question America. And this is inspired by a famous line that Fannie Lou Hamer um, said in 1964 in Atlantic City. She's questioning America. Uh, The reason we're having this theme in uh, Fannie Lou Hamer uh, is because the theme is women. 
women's impact in the movement, what they were doing here in Mississippi to, to make change. Um, most of the programs we're doing at the two Mississippi museums this year are focused on women, really in honor of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which guaranteed women um, the right to vote. Um, of course, the limitations uh, in the South is that there was guaranteeing you know, white women's right to vote. Uh, and so the continued struggle of um, African-American um, suffrage that happened here in the state. And that's something that, of course, we talk about in the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. This is being held at the museums? This will be at the museums, and it'll happen at 6 p.m. Anyone who's interested in um, not only learning about women's history in the movement, but hearing from some really fantastic artists. We have a slate of um, artists that are all organized by um, our MC for the night, um, artist Amanda Furge, local artist here. Um, and we've invited poets and dancers and singers who um, have all toured through the museum to get inspiration about these women. So they've seen their photos, they've heard their voices, they know their stories about their uh, fight for freedom in Mississippi, and they're going to create their own questions of America. Wonderful. Rachel Myers is the deputy director of the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum and the Museum of Mississippi History. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.